McNulty stunning for to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi, Pompey fans, and welcome to the podcast episode 161. Well, the unbeaten run comes to an end, but there's still a lot of optimism around Fratton Park. During the podcast today is Freddie Webb. How are you, Freddie? Hi, I'm not bad, Hugh. Uh, yeah, bit of a shame about the result on Saturday. Uh, first defeat of the season. Quite gutting in the right way it happened as well, but hey, uh, it was highly, un- highly unlikely that Pompey were going to go unbeaten throughout the entire season. So, yeah, we're going to dissect that game in as much detail as we can, really. It was always going to come, wasn't it? And what I would like to say, though, Fredster, is that I nearly made a shit ton of money on this game because I did put £3 on the 3-3 draw that we spoke about in the last preview. And when that when that fifth goal went in, I was like, 182 quid. come on, Pompey! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, well, the game was mad, like I said, because it, it, it had its... Even though I thought... As a bit of a spoiler, but it's uh, the better side, but it had its swings and roundabouts at times. But still, very mad game. I would have liked the free all as well, even though I didn't bet on it for obvious reasons. Yeah, you, you thought your madness would not would not come true potentially, Freddie. But you know, I've got more faith in you there, even than you do yourself. But all right, let's crack on what we're doing today. Um, Andy's not here; he's in Kuala Lumpur. He wants to go and look after the Tigers, apparently. So, arr, go get him, Andy. But in the meantime, you've got me and Freddie. So, first of all, we're going to review the game against Ipswich. Follow on from that, we're going to see if any of the players in the Papa John's Trophy's performances had an impact, and whether they should be put into the first team for the next game. And then we're going to talk about some injury news and bits and bobs going on around the city of Portsmouth. And finally, we're going to preview. The game on Saturday, if anyone can get to it, at home to Fleetwood. Right, Freddie. Ipswich. Now, it was a big game. It was hyped up. You're either there or you're, you're illegally streaming it, whatever was going on. But they won the battle of the midfield, didn't they? I think that was quite clear to see, which enabled them to push the wing-backs forward during the game. And when you've got people, you know, on the right, you had Burns, you had Davis. And when they're playing so high up the pitch, they're almost like advanced wingers. That was never going to be a good recipe for success for Pompey. No, not at all. And I think Ipswich winning the midfield battle was basically the reason why Pompey lost that game. Like you said, the wing-backs had a lot of freedom. They were able to push push high up. So not only could they control the middle of the pitch, they could also overload both flanks as well, which has made it very difficult for our full-backs. Um, and then from there, they essentially were just very patient with their play. We knew they were a fairly strong possession side switching it to the wing when they when they wanted to, but also build, building it out in and around the penalty area. And were patient to try and create their chances, and they created a lot of them, um, something that Pompey couldn't do really throughout the game, which is fairly disappointing. 
Um, there are a lot of there are a lot of shots in the first half. A lot of chances. I mean, Tyrese John Jules had a shot that was deflected from the six yard box. Kind of chapped at the post. George Edmondson had a header from a free kick that was straight at Griffiths, but could have gone anywhere really. Wes Burns also had a breakthrough as well, where he burst into, I think, from memory, burst into the penalty area. Griffiths, reasonable save. And yeah, Ipswich had 12 shots that half and their dominance from the midfield and then spreading the play as well, it showed. And uh, Portsmouth couldn't really cope with it. And I don't think any side, I mean, aside from Sheffield Wednesday, first game of the season, has controlled the midfield as much against Pompey, to be honest. And it makes good sense considering they're one of the better teams in the league, really. Yeah, it was nice, wasn't it? It was a lot of one-touch sort of football and we really struggled to deal with it completely. I thought of our missing Tom Lowry in the middle. I know we'll come on to talk about his injury news later on the podcast, but for me, maybe having Tom in the centre there with Marlon Pack might have helped shift the balance a little bit, recouping the ball and moving the ball forward quicker. Do you think that would have made a difference, Fred? Uh, I think it might have done. Um but I think the problem was it was always going to really be really hard, in my opinion, to play a 4-4-2 against Ipswich, knowing that they control the midfield in the way that they did. I mean, Sam Morsey and Liam Evans, are, they're an excellent double pivot, aren't they, behind Connor Chaplin as the as the cam. They're always going to win those duels. And yes, I, I like the pairing of Pack and Morel. I think it's solid and has got the range of passing and the defensive responsibility there. But Ipswich were able to just switch the play so much, spread Pompey's midfield and create those gaps. I think Lowry might have been able to play the ball out from the back slightly quicker, but I think Pompey probably would have run into similar problems even if he was on the pitch, to be honest. Yeah, agreed. Let's talk about the first goal then. It's given away in the middle by Dale, picked up quite quickly. Morrison seemed to step up on that play, so he was sort of taken out of the play. So as soon as Connor Chaplin picked the ball up, he noticed that and slid it straight through to Marcus Harness, who tucks it away nicely into the bottom corner. Of course, it was going to be Chaplin to Harness, wasn't it? But it's an interesting one, really, isn't it? And we did struggle sometimes to get the ball away quick enough. But let's just talk about Dale quickly. He had quite an up-and-down game. He had some moments where he looked brilliant on the ball, he sort of looked like one of those players who was most likely to create a chance, create an opportunity, and he did. But at the same time, he got a bit harassed, didn't he, on the ball? And this was a moment where he sort of turned it over. But what did you think of Owen Dale's performances in this game? Uh, like you said, very up and down. I thought he showed a lot of energy. He, he, he has definitely a skill set and a high work rate. I thought he threatened Ipswich's defence a fair bit. Um, it's quite obvious that I think a lot of the play went down the right wing at times. But like you said, he coughed the ball up for the Marcus Harness goal um, which were pretty good defensively especially on the wings because that's how Pompey exploited most of their play to be honest and then yeah it was very up and down but a lot of Pompey players lost the ball in this game um, Ipswich statistically were ahead in accuracy for every single dual metric that's normal whether total duels whether they were in possession out of the possession or in the air they had greater accuracy in all of them. I'm not going to read all the accuracy stats, but according to Scout, it was just ahead in pretty much all of them. And it showed due to the amount of times that Pompey had turned the ball over in midfield, and that was a shame. But now the Marcus Harness goal, it was a lovely finish, side foot under the keeper. Actually quite a hard challenge because really he didn't really have a he didn't really have a corner to aim at, did he? Which probably means that the Scout 
Um, XG was 0.15, which I thought was a bit low still. But now he was able to tuck it in the right spot, right under the keeper. Lovely play, Connor Chaplin as well, driving into the space. He's turned into an excellent attacking midfielder, hasn't he? Which is which is a big shame. I wish he was still at the club, really. And his skill set is immense. I could imagine him playing in a very successful Pompey side. But no, that goal sent Pompey Twitter into absolute meltdown, I saw. There were just loads of fans saying, oh, Harness uh, is useless. He was always bad. I don't, I don't know what how he scored in this game. If you think that Marcus Harness was a good player for Pompey, you, you don't watch football and all this nonsense, even though we've said what Marcus Harness is several times, haven't we, about how, how he was never really a playmaker. He was all, whenever, When he was put in attacking number 10 role, he was always good and contributed assists and goals and created chances, which a lot of people don't understand because they watched one game and he went missing for about 80 minutes of it and have somehow fought to that the entire way. But yeah, uh, Pompey 1-0 down, deserved to be behind as well for all the reasons that I've just said, really. Yeah. But then again, we weren't 1-0 down when we went in at half-time because the ball comes up the other end. I think it was Dale that played the pass-through. Was it there? Yep, Dale that played the pass-through. It's a big day and he takes the ball around the keeper, gets a touch on him, goes down, gets a penalty. That's one of those moments that can be game-changing. Colby Bishop steps up, puts it away, not that convincingly, but, you know, the keeper does that dramatic d- dive to try and make it look like he was he was going down anyway, making a big save and sort of overcommits almost, and the ball goes underneath him. 1-1 at half-time. All right, as you said, we were behind in all the metrics. I was seeing the, the half-time metrics pop up as well because I couldn't make it to the game, so I was streaming it, of course, legally online. And, um, yeah, it's, it's 1-1. And at half-time, you think all right, Pompey's been quite good in the second half, haven't we, at turning things around and Danny Cowley doing whatever he does, giving his team speech, and maybe we, it can be a game of two halves. And it sort of was a little bit, wasn't it? We came into the second half, it sort of slowed down a bit, the game got a bit scrappier. But were you convinced when we started the game 10 minutes in that it was going to be a different sort of game or not? Not particularly, to be honest, because really Pompey had more possession in that spell wasn't it in the second half but no they had that spell where they could have done something they could have, they could have gone at it switch and uh especially since it was one all so that those players probably didn't think they deserved to be level at that point so that was you know mentally the time to attack that side but Pompey didn't really create a lot I think in total they had about what four deep completed crosses and passes and six touches in the penalty area compared to which was just 29 so they didn't really it didn't really do a lot with that little spell of possession. Um, Ipswich defended fairly solidly, but Pompey didn't do enough, which is a bit of a shame. The, the pace was a bit slow. There was not a lot of quick switches of play or anything. And I'm jumping ahead here, but it's it was quite obvious that Pompey didn't really create a lot when you look at the expected goals. We're obviously we're going to come on to Bishop's second penalty later when he made it to all. The XG total, expected goals, quality of chances, was 1.72 and 1.52 of that was both penalties. So it just so to show that, yes, you can argue that, oh, they created two really good chances by getting both of those penalties. And that was the idea, to sit back a bit, let Ipswich have possession and counter-attack with purpose and attack with purpose if we have possession and create those chances. And yeah, they created two key, key chances and took both of them. And there's no arguing that. But the little little creativity they had in open play was uh, quite disappointing, to be honest. 
yeah, there was just no way. Pack couldn't really get on the ball and dominate like he usually does. He couldn't set the tempo as well. You know, he was harassed in midfield. They pressed us when when we gave the ball away quite high. It was one of those things, isn't it? I actually looked at the XG stats for the game, Freddie, and, and did pick up on that point, ready to be armed for any question when it comes down to to guess the XG. I did wonder if you'd switch it round and and do a, a Marcus Harness one. I didn't do any research. But I, did, I did wonder if, because there's no chance to prompt you whether you'd flip it to an Ipswich one. Was yeah, I, th- I thought about it, but no, since Andy's not here, we can't really play guess the XG today. It always uh, works with two people. Of course, of course. I was wondering, actually, that was the point you're going to go on, but, you know, Tigers and all that, they come first. But, Let's just move on back towards the game then. Edwards comes on. He's a player that I actually quite rate as well. He's obviously got a lot of pace, a lot of energy. He sort of creates some space down the left-hand side, lays it over to Leif Davis. The battle of the Davis versus Dale. There's only one answer in this game. He puts the ball into the box. And Freddie Ladapo with potentially, I think, his first touch in the game. And he's one of those players who always scores against us, Freddie. It feels like that anyway. I don't know if that's the case, but... Ladapo had a slow start to the season. Now he's picked up three and three, I think, for them, and looking like a bit of a weapon up front. Yeah, I should have had him on the uh, on the free all draw goal scorers list instead of Gaston Abney, really. But never mind. Um, but yeah, what what an option to have on the bench, Freddie Ladapo. We've seen him start for Rotherham in the Championship and in League One, and he's been fairly prolific this time. And yeah, it was a lovely finish with his left foot. Leave Davis having all that joy. Conor Ogilvy got skinned, unfortunately, which is a bit of a shame. Lovely low cross into him. The Dapo is behind the defenders and then just picked the spot top corner. Lovely goal. Um, and then, yeah, it was, again, it was which deserved to go ahead. Uh, Pompey didn't do enough with their spur possession and then the momentum swung back their way and they took their chance. And it was only Sam, Mor- Sam Morsey's needless challenge that gave Pompey the second penalty. Yeah, and Curtis gets there just ahead of him, gets a touch of the ball, and he gets taken down in the box. It was one of those ones right in front of the referee. Refs don't usually give you two penalties in a game, but this was so obvious he had to give it. Colby Bishop steps up under a lot of pressure, you've got to say, and he puts away a beautiful penalty this time, doesn't he, into the bottom right-hand corner. That's more like it. 2-2. <laughs> Pien goes wild. You think, we can do this. We can snatch a draw. One thing about that penalty, though, did you see the dad and his kid on his own in the stand? Yeah, what was that about? G- g- giving the big one to Ronan Curtis when he kicks the co- when he kicks the corner flag over. Yeah, <laughs> so funny. I, d- I, d- I, d- I didn't pick it up the first time I looked at the highlights, but when I watched them again, I just noticed him just losing his rag, and it was so funny, so so funny. There were oh. some odd balls in the crowd. Let's be honest, weren't there on the Ipswich side? I mean, chucking the ball around, just giving it the big. <laughs> to, to be fair, I can imagine pop. I can imagine every single fan base doing that, chucking the ball around to waste time. I've seen it at the front end before. But no, the the bloke with his kid, obviously just losing his brain cells with anger was just... <laughs> couldn't stop that, I forget it. That should, definitely should be clipped. If, if we came back and drawn the game, that would be something that would have been clipped, I reckon, and put into a little gift for us to play over and over again. But sadly, it wasn't. Ball goes back down the other side. I think it's like 10 seconds later, isn't it? Edwards puts that ball into the box. It is a cross, isn't it? It deflects, goes over the top of Griffiths, who I've seen some commentary online about whether he should have got to that and palmed it over. I mean, it looks a long way over his head to me and it sort of spins in. I don't think you can really blame him for that. Goes in. I don't know if it counts as his goal. Did it count as his goal? It was right on the line. Uh, I'll have a double check, actually, because I thought it was a West Burns goal. 
Well, Burns sort of headed it in, but I wasn't sure if the ball had already gone in over the line, basically, or not. Mm. But mm. who cares, Freddie? You can check it out, but the, the result's the same. Three yeah, it was West Burns, Davis Cross. Actually, no, Davis wasn't getting the assist. It was just Burns' goal. Wicked deflection. Um, criticism over the keeper? Harsh. I think you can have something to say about the defending to stop Edwards putting the cross in. They've gone to sleep, haven't they, after the tweak? Yeah, or? yeah, they definitely did. They definitely did. Um, it, I think uh, uh, Owendale didn't really track back that much. Ogilvy was trying to keep shape in the defensive line, but then obviously had to go out to meet Edwards late, which was a bit of a shame because Edwards has already gone straight into the penalty area by that point. So it's a bit of a communication error there, which is a shame. I'd like to see Ogilvy on his preferred side at left back, to be honest, long term. I don't see him playing at right back long term the being the best option to be honest um i know he had a, he's had a few decent games he had a good game against plymouth playing there but you're playing a player in his wrong position eventually it's stuff's going to go wrong and that's not a, a fault of the player that's just them getting used to an entirely new position is how it is um yeah i want to yeah. talk about that fred i want to talk about the fact that the defense lacked quite a lot of balance in this game didn't it and it seemed quite apparent when you had sort of four real centre-half players, you know, playing across the back four. Obviously, you've got some injuries. You know, Rafferty's out for a bit. I think you want to put Ogilvy back on the left-hand side, don't we, going forward? And then just trying to find do. a natural uh, right back. Yeah, I think Free- Freeman, or, I think you can pick Freeman or Swanson, depending on which you prefer. I think it's obvious that Cowley doesn't trust Hume as much in big games defensively at left back, which is fair enough. I don't mind that at all, really. No, I um, saw him against I saw him against Crawley when he played there, even, and he was getting skinned by the Crawley players mm, down that hand side. Mm. And but no, but no, like you said, it was obvious really that Portsmouth, to a certain extent, I, I won't go as far as to say they had four centre halves in the back four, but more defensive fullbacks. And they could have supported the midfield out a fair bit, but then the wingers were given a lot of license and they didn't track back as much. So they had to keep that solid foundation at the back, which is fair enough. But again, like I said, Pompey turned the ball over a lot. Robertson lost the ball the most, I think, in the game. He lost the ball 20 times with passes and tackles, which is a shame. He didn't have his best game. It happens, really. I think the only defender to come out of that with, all right, was Michael Morrison purely on analytics. He was he stepped up for the first goal, shame, but he was able to um, win the ball the most out of all the defenders. And then, yeah, I think with the lack of squad depth from the injuries, the substitutions didn't really change the game all that much. Curtis had a reasonable impact when he came on the left wing, won the penalty, fair enough. When Ryan Tunnicliffe came on, I think it was just obvious that he was off the pace. His match sharpness wasn't there and you had to expect that because he, I can't remember if he played any minutes before that. Uh, did, uh, did he play any minutes before that? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think Jay Mingy had an issue, didn't he? Yeah, he had a, he, uh, Andrew Moon said he had a shin issue during the warm-up, so Cowley didn't want to risk him, which is fair enough. That happens. So yeah, when, when you bring in when you bring on Tony Cliff, who's off the pace, that didn't really change the game that much. And since the battle was won in the midfield, probably weren't going to shift it. And then they brought on Hackett in the last minute, changed the formation, try and go a bit more attacking, and unfortunately it didn't work. Shame, like we said, but we just lost lost to a better side away from home. Another thing that Ipswich actually did really well was their crossing. From their 15 crosses, they had 53.33% accuracy. Pompey had reasonable numbers, um, 
accuracy rounded up from their seven, which is decent. But it's just they they had that perfect blend going forward of both being able to move the ball in possession in and around the penalty area, but also bringing out rides and using crossing. They were able to do both, which me which makes them a bit of a force, to be honest. Yeah, they're up there with Sheffield Wednesday for the better teams that have played against Pompey this season. Tough game, and you could look at those three key results now if you want to be cynical and say, oh, Portsmouth have only got two points out of possible nine against Plymouth, Sheffield Wednesday and Ipswich now. And that could be a difference between automatic promotion and playoffs. But I think if Pompey end up in the playoffs, that's a solid get, I think, with the squad we have compared to some of the others. It's just that I still think some of the teams are better in the league and it's uh, it's a shame. Um, but we've just got to try and make the most of our chances, really. Yeah. And let's be honest, Fred, top six finish as we aim for this season. Let's, let's get that top six finish and we'll still be a happy bunch over here at the podcast. If we can do better than that, that's great. But at the same time, let's get in that magic top six. Let's get us something to cheer about and let's go into at least the playoffs for this season. All right, let's move on. Let's talk briefly about the Papa John's Trophy game on Tuesday. Didn't go, or tune in particularly, so I haven't got huge takeaways, apart from the fact that I wanted to see who could play in this fullback position and who played well. I thought Swanson played all right for some of the highlights, kind of chat to people about him. But for my my general opinion on him is that he's quick, he's got a decent delivery, he can pass the ball, etc. So when we look at the Fleetwood game later on, a team who, you know, are coming to Fratton Park, you hope the defensive midfielder could actually potentially cover the fullbacks playing up higher in the pitch. You don't want to be in an Ipswich situation where we're sat back quite deep. And that happens a lot when you haven't got fullbacks who are willing to push up the pitch. So if you can get Ogilvy back onto his left-hand side, Fred, and then put someone like Swanson or Freeman, if he's fit, I'm not sure about that, uh, on the right-hand side and let them go forward a little bit more, that will really help the 4-4-2 formation because you'll have that overlap on the wingers rather than the wingers being doubled up on each side. So I, I, think, I think the point for this part of the podcast, though, on that, Fred, was saying that you know we've got Swanson on a two-year contract. He's a permanent player, a young player, who I'd like to see us develop the asset as such, as well as you know who will fit in the team, especially when you've got your number one first choice right back out. Yeah, Danny Cowley spoke about Swanson in the news this week, calling him, calling him a project player, project being in quotes, and that he would ideally want him to play at least 20 matches a season across all competitions because he thinks that'll get him a reasonable opportunity playing against good competition, but also not throwing him in at the deep end because we've spoke about how, you know, what, what ceiling Swanson has before joining Pompey, but he ha- he doesn't have the experience at football league level, so he needs to be embedded in not every young player could be like Dane Scarlett and take two games and then take into it and take into it really well. Um, it's just one of those things. But yeah, Swanson looked fairly reasonable. I know it was Aston Villa's B team and they looked out class playing against football league pros. I think that was quite obvious to be honest. But yeah, it, it was promising that he was able to get those minutes finally and look fairly comfortable. Fleetwood, quite an awkward side. They look fairly physical. Scott Brown seems to play a fairly a fairly solid solid tactical philosophy with them as well. So it might be the case of Cowley wanting to play Ogilvy at right back, like in the game against Burton. It might not have been. It might not be the game for Swanson, but I think given Ogilvy's struggles last game out of position, I think it might be the game to at least 
throw him a start him and if he doesn't do very well you might have to take him off at half time not as a you know hooking him I don't think hooking him at half time if he plays badly is like a distraught of confidence really I think it's just it would be one of those things if it happens I think other players who had good games that game Kieran Freeman looked fairly solid and he showed that he's an option you could have him at right back if you wanted to and if he seems solid enough he'd be able to deal with the physical aspects of Fleetwood if you prefer looking at it that way Mingi got 90 minutes which is excellent as well Tunnicliffe looked much sharper in this game yes playing against weaker opposition but he had more minutes in his legs so again that's the other option there and then Morel having 45 minutes as well depending on if Lowry is fit enough to start because we're going to go over the injury news later then I think you start Lowry all day long but now Cowley has like a selection headache in centre mid and then on more positive news three academy players played in that game Adam Pace Brian Quam and Harvey Laidlaw who is the grandson of Joe Laidlaw who um, Captain Pompey uh, during their promotion season in 1980, which is a lovely touch. Brian Quam, by the way, is an exceptional youth player name as well. So I'm already back at the lads. I think that's a great <laughs> name for a footballer. Mm-hmm. Um, up the Brian. Love that. Um, but yeah, no, it's good to see the academy lads coming on, getting some minutes as well. It's just one of those things really though, Freddie, that it's just a trophy that I'm not going to get too overexcited about. It's just good You, you know my opinions players. on it, Hugh, so it's... <laughs> I, I think it shouldn't be a competition that exists personally in the in the current format. But hey, if our youngsters can get some minutes in it, it's you know it's it's something. It, it doesn't take away from what's going on. But yeah, that's the only silver lining I can take away anyway. All right, I'm just going to move on from the game. But is there nothing else you want to talk about in that? There's no silly analytics. Papa John's is there? No, I think the only other thing was um, Joe Pickett being taken off early. That was due to a chest infection, according to Andrew Moon, and it was uh, precautionary. So because of that, I assume he will be uh, he'll be available for selection on Saturday against Fleetwood. And the goal scorers off the, off the top of my head in that game, Curtis with the easiest tapping he's ever going to score in his life. And then um, Michael Jacobs, two from Josh Cromer and one from Rico Hackett, I believe. Yeah, that was a nice finish, the Hackett one, wasn't it? It was, actually, yeah. Yeah, uh, I enjoyed that. There you go. That's our takeaway. Josh Crover getting two goals as well is obviously good. Scored that beauty at Fratton Park. And those sort of wingers always are confidence players to a certain level, aren't they? So keep hitting the back of the net and hopefully that translates back into the league on Saturday. Injury news, Freddie. You, We've been sort of toying with this, putting it out there during the early, earlier parts of the podcast. But when's my boy Lowry back in the side, Freddie? Yeah, it was reported earlier a week in the news that Tom Lowry... It's probably available for selection this Saturday. Danny Cowley said he only had a grade one hamstring tear, so it was quite slight. And uh, he was basically very positive about it, and he's probably available. Um, I think if he's fit, you have to start him because that Pack Lowry partnership is just insane. And then you can use the depth of Morel, Tunnicliffe, Bingy as centre midfield um, after that. And I think his ability to win the ball deep with his uh, back to goal turn and spread the quake, play quickly I think that would be a big plus against the Fleetwood side who would look to uh, put their foot in I think Yeah massively and if not it'd be interesting to see if he decides to to mix it up and play Mingy I reckon he'd probably bring him on and start Morel but that's just my thoughts generally Any more injury news? Uh, aside from Rafferty the only other bad news is he's probably going to still be out for the 
amount of time to expect him to, which at the most is four weeks. Rafferty had to have minor surgery because of a stomach issue. They Cowley said he wanted to try and rehab it because effectively it was like an irritant injury and the surgery would be quite slow and it would take him out, obviously reduce his match sharpness and so on. But it wasn't improving, so he had to have it. Um, shame. And I think now quite a big miss. And Cowley will have to focus on his uh, depth choices at centre at right back to um, actually get through. Because, yeah, I, I don't know what it is. It just feels wrong to play Ogilvy at right back personally. I just think you should play him in his natural position, play him at left back. And then I know Clark Robertson doesn't start because of that, but hey, I've, I think you play your best players in their best positions. I've always been an advocate of that. Do you not think Robertson can move into the middle for one of Morrison or Raggett? You could, but yeah, but then w- who would you take out? Would you take out Morrison or Raggett? That, that was the question I put to you, Freddie. You've just flipped it around straight to me. Oh, I mean, indeed. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think... I'm, I'm open to either, really, mate. Yeah, I think... I don't, I don't want to be shot by the Sean Raggett police, but <laughs> I, I don't think he's necessarily had the best of games on some of the games recently. Just check one thing. Well, is Raggett's left-footed, isn't he, or is he right-footed? I can't remember. Mm. Off the top of my head. Can I... Stupid. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> top, top work from us again on the podcast. Oh, God, no. Um, I've literally got to look that up because that's going to annoy me all day. Um, but yeah, depending on if you want balance in the in the centre half partnership, you can you can swap them or you can go with continuity and keep the same back. Just keep the same pairing. It depends what you want to go for, really. But you need Robertson in there anyway, don't you? So who else is going to take a corner for us? That's my that's the big thing for me. Are you going to put Ronan Curtis back in corners? You know, take Kramer off, bring Curtis back. The the corner specialist, probably not. Freddie's now just looking desperately to find out what foot... He is right-footed. I was right. Yeah. Actually, no, I was wrong the first time because I thought he was left-footed for some stupid reason. No, you, you can, I think Michael Morrison's right foot as well, actually, I believe. Now I've got to look that up because I don't know which foot Michael Morrison is now. Brilliant. <laughs> perfect view, perfect listening for everybody as I quickly try and do all this. But like I said, the idea of... Yeah, Michael Morrison is right-footed as well. So, if you want to have a balanced centre-half partnership and have one right-footer, one left-footer, you bring Clark Robertson into the middle and lose either one of Morrison or Raggett, depending on your preference. Or you keep the same centre-half partnership, which for the vast majority of games has been fairly solid, aside from a few individual errors. And I think I favour the latter against the Fleetwood side who are very awkward. You just keep the back four as stable as you can. So I'd prefer it if they moved Okovie to his proper side, keep the same centre-halves. And I think I wouldn't mind... I wouldn't mind Kieran Freeman at right back. It's the boring option compared to Swanson, obviously. You are boring. Uh, I, I am indeed. I am indeed. But... <laughs> I think in a game against Fleetwood, you you have to go give the experienced player the nod in that scenario because they, they are an awkward side in many ways. Uh, it's harsh on Robertson to a certain degree, but I think Ogilvy's ahead of him in the in, in the left back um, spot anyway. And Robertson's a great sub if there are problems um, either at centre half or at left back. He's comfortable at both places, really. Yeah, I think Ogilvy's just shown going forward he's got a bit more. In his uh, in his locker as well, isn't he? Especially linking out with the wingers and 
chipping in with a few goals. So yeah, let's let's keep Connor. And Connor's also been pretty awesome all season, hasn't he? You know, you can't fault him for many games he played in. So number one left back. Here we go, Connor Ogilvy. Ogilvy. Fred, is there anything else before I move us on to speak about the Fleetwood game? No, I think we can. Uh, let's talk about the Cod Army, shall we? All righty, let's move on to the Cod Army, as Freddie framed it as there. Little Town, 13th position in the beautiful League One, the best league in the world, Pompey fans, which we'll be residing in for for a long time. Fleetwood Town are interesting to me, Freddie, because although they've got a reputation for being just sort of a, a hard, bruising, shutdown sort of team, if you have a look at the different styles of play they have there, they plot exactly right next to Portsmouth in the way they play. So, for instance, passes per sequence, Fleetwood 2.67, Pompey 2.66, direct speed 140, Fleetwood, Pompey 142. I have to ask, what is direct speed? How quickly you pass the ball forward. It means the number of metres the ball travels forward, so it measures how many metres it goes up the field, divided by the total time of the sequences. But the sequence time, as I said, 6.99 to Fleetwood, 6.92 for Pompey. So it basically measures the correlation between how long we hold on to the ball and how quickly we put the ball forward. So you can see there, that is the correlation with how I think the styles are quite similar and remarkably similar as well, like directly next to each other in the league. Basically, the difference is they just haven't got that quality up front, is my opinion, and they haven't got those game breakers or game changers, which means that Fleetwood themselves are now, although they're 13th in the league, they've got 10 goals in 11 games. None of those goals have come in open play, uh, but only next year, 7.77. So, out of those goals, they're actually over exceeding their, their expected goals, Freddie. Fleetwood are an interesting team in the fact that they've had lots of goals that are decided by one game, nil nils, one ones. They lost to Barnsley in the last game, one nil. Um, it was a pretty late goal, if I remember there, for Barnsley. Obviously, that's the kind of thing I keep track on, being in a Barnsley prediction league. Freddie, what are your feelings on Fleetwood? Because it sounds like we're at home, back against a mid-table team. This should be one of those games, surely, where Pompey try and get an early goal and prevent the only team I've ever seen who are worse than Wickham at time-wasting come down to Fratton Park. <laughs> so, yeah, I think Fleetwood would be quite an awkward side, to be honest. Um, their total form out, out the from the league, three wins, six draws, two losses. Very, uh, They've proven to be a very hard-to-beat side, but also with some sort of creativity involved. Um, I've noticed one big thing though in the white in the Y scout data, which is very interesting. Um they can the have conceded nine goals in the league, but their expected goals against the quality of chances they give up is 15.07 according to Y Scout. And a big factor in that is their new goalkeeper, Jay Lynch from Rochdale, who has basically a prevented goals stat, which is essentially the quality of saves that he's putting in, roughly how many goals is he? prevented the clues in the name of 3.34 which is up there with uh, some of the best in the league so a lot of the big reasons why Fleetwood haven't conceded that many it's not only down to opposition's wasting chances against them but it's also down to their keeper who's been a very good get some of the other transfers they've brought in who I like uh, Josh Earl a fullback from Preston I've rated him a fair bit I thought I wanted him as a lone E for Portsmouth at one point from memory, but Preston started playing him in their side and they but then suddenly decided to re release him for nothing, which is very strange. I think that was an awesome get for them. As well as some other players, 
they also have Callum Morton, who had that spell at Northampton where he was fairly prolific when they got promoted from League Two. He's back again. I think he played against he's played against Portsmouth up front before, wasted a fair number of chances, but still a harassing striker. They brought in a player who I like, Carlos Mendes Gomez, on loan from Luton. He is properly an inside forward left winger. Um, you're not going to get a lot of creation from him, but he will hang on the last defender. He's got a lot of pace, can drive into the open play, can take chances. So that's one danger, man. For does that, Fleetwood. Fred, does that sound like we should be playing a right back there rather than a, a centre back at right back in this situation? Someone I think it would pace. be nice. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think a player like Freeman could man mark him. It's Fleetwood's, Freeman's probably been told to man mark several players better than him in, in his career. So I think he would do all right there. They've also got Admiral Musquay up front, who's more of a target man striker, could do a little bit of everything, can play the ball out of his feet, presence in the air as well. And then Scott Brown has brought in a few players from Scotland as well. Sean Bruni is a fullback from St. Johnson and Michael Devlin, both fairly solid. They also brought in Josh Vella, centre midfielder from Shrewsbury, who has played against Pompey probably several times. Fairly solid water carrier centre midfielder. Again, a solid pickup. No, uh, nothing bad about them, but I think the key for this side is their weakness is their ability to create chances, and we've seen that already. But they set up in a solid system where if Pompey have a lot of possession, they'll need to be a bit more creative to break them down. They they've set up in a four two three one in the last few games, and that's what they've mainly played as. They've played as a, in a four one two one two diamond before, which is quite interesting. But I think for me, some of the doubts I have, Pompey showed in that Ipswich game and in other games when they have a lot of possession, they don't know always they don't know what to do with it always. They're almost better with a, a little possession because they break they break with pace. They have attacking intent, they exploit weaknesses and exploit gaps and use the strong attacking players we have to create those chances. But when the Blues have a lot of possession, I think in the Lincoln game at home, for example, the play moves slowly, the switches aren't quite as quick and the opposition can just sit back and pack the pounds here and that's going to be quite difficult. And Fleet would definitely have the players to do that and hit on the counter as well, which... Uh, so yeah, that, that, that's outlined Fleetwood in a nutshell. Some interesting things in the athletics, but I don't think it's going to be as easy. It's not going to be as easy of a game as many people think. I think it's going to be quite a tricky home match. Yeah, and and they try and get their fullbacks forward as well. I noticed that only one player has got more than one assist for them, and that's Rooney playing a right back for them. It's the same with goals as well. The goals spread out throughout the entire team. I think the the most goals that one player has is two. Yeah, and that's spread all over. So they're definitely Scott Brown's really put, put together just a strong, solid starting eleven and some depth pieces as well. Um, On a but, modest budget, I'd assume as well. He's not been. This doesn't look like they've been splashing the cash on these players to bring. No, in. no, absolutely no. Fleet would have been like reducing their budget for ages. They definitely were from when they were pre-COVID. Absolutely, because of um, yeah, the COVID pandemic hit them hard. The same with every other club. So they were lowering their budget fairly well from there anyway so yeah um, difficult side surprisingly difficult I think um, Bobby needs to be a bit clever and I think essentially whenever they have the ball they just need to move the ball quickly in midfield I think that's the best thing 
move the defensive line, move the opposition defensive line back and forth to create those gaps. And then Karoma, Dale, Scarlett, Bishop could just run into the channels, run into those gaps, play a lovely through ball, and they're in. And it doesn't matter how many defenders or midfielders they put back. So that's going to be key for the key for Pompey, I think. Yeah, early goal, mate. We always say it, but that would be the dream. Then Fleet would have to come out against us, and I think then we could see more than one goal going the other way. If the nightmare happens, Freddie, and they score early, do you think we we can change it up and come back in that sense? Because they they'll probably sit deep if that happens, wouldn't they? Oh, I think Pompey have the definitely have the skill and the ability to do that. I mean, the blue we're besides one of the top goal scorers in the league. Of course, we can unlock unlock opposition even if they sit back and I think there's momentum there um, but like I said I think the midfield uh, the, the way Pompey build up the play through midfield and press when out of possession is going to be so important in this game because I think since Pompey are the favourites of this game not only will they have to control the ball when they have it but also get the ball back quickly when they don't um, not, to, not to allow any opportunities at all I think because the longer what? it goes the more confidence the Fleetwood players will have and they could just take one chance and then they've got the initiative and then they can sit back and be very defensive. Um, and that can prove to be a problem. I would like to see our PPDA stats pressing-wise at home versus away, Fred, at some point, because I wonder at well, home... Well, split them, I'd literally have to go for every single one, <laughs> which is really, which, which would be annoying, but that'll lovely I'll homework. Have to do that one day. Lovely homework. But it does, it does seem that that would be quite interesting because away from home a little bit, we have been sitting a bit deeper out of possessions and not pressing teams as high up the pitch. And at Fratton against a team like this, I'd like to see us press a bit more aggressively. I think at Fratton, we look particularly good. It gets the crowd going, but it also you know, creates turnovers and pins teams further back in their pitch, stops their fullbacks getting forward. And again, you know, no player's got more than one assist for them. They've got three assists in their left and right back combined. So I'd like to see us push on a bit more, you know, get Dale, Karoma, et cetera, Curtis, whoever's playing on that side, pressing high up the pitch, creating turnovers, allowing them to, you know, attack when there's a bit more space as well, because there is a bit more space usually when people are trying to pass the ball out. And Fleetwood will probably not lump it up top all the way. They will mix it up a little bit as well and try and play the ball out a bit. So let's get into the little juice bit, Freddie. All right, let's not let's not let's not go over the flog a dead horse now. I think we've we've got to the end of the analysis. So, what's your score prediction, please, for the game on Saturday and any goal scorers? Well, you called me boring earlier, and I think you might have to do it again. I'm going to be slightly negative, actually. I think due to the strengths that I've outlined with Fleetwood, I'm going to go with a one-all draw. I just think that Fleetwood are just one of those sides, and they've shown it in their other games where they can create chances, but also defend incredibly well. And I know the expected goals against that is alarming, but they have the players to offset it, I think. Um, goal scorers, I'm going to go with Josh Caroma for Pompey and for Fleetwood. I'm going to go with Michael Devlin from a corner. Yeah. I mean, it, it would be a bit of a frustratingly boring... The, the, the sigh from you, then. <laughs> frustratingly boring, Freddie. I'm going to mix it up. I'm going to say a 1-0 Pompey win. I don't see a lot of goals in this Fleetwood side at all. And I think especially away from home, they're less likely to score than they are at home. I, I, I'm going to go with a 1-0 Pompey win, a late goal from Owen Dale to nick it in the death 
to keep us in the in the top promotion to keep us in the automatic promotion chase one nil Pompey Owen Dale it's done it's settled that is going to be the score I'm still annoyed I can't go to the game how frustrating I bought a season ticket I can't even go because you're working mate the news is working you like I don't even have a comparison to say because it's late and I'm tired, but you're <laughs> working you too much. If anyone wants to work for free for the news, let Freddie know at PO Forecast. <laughs> <laughs> Give us some help. Give us some help. Exactly. <laughs> Pray for Freddie. He's <laughs> three man, three man's work. All right, mate. It's been great having you on the podcast. Yeah, always a pleasure. Thank you, Hugh. And uh, yeah, no, nice to talk about some football, even even though the result was a shame. But I could talk about Pompey all day long. You know what I'm like. Yeah, exactly. And let's be honest, mate, we're always going to lose a game. It's a shame that Benjamin cursed it and mentioned us losing the game on the last podcast. I'm blaming him completely. Said about a meltdown. It's actually not been too bad, is it? It's actually not been too bad a meltdown, I wouldn't say. No, no, I didn't think it was that bad. I think the only meltdown involved was when Harness scored. And just the opinions were flying all over the place, which I found quite amusing. We knew it was going to happen, mate. We knew it was going to happen. But until next time, play up Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle.